it's Brandi Taylor. Welcome to the Business Beauty Network Podcast, where business meets beauty. It's not just lipstick, it's business. We will share thought-provoking conversations with business and beauty professionals. Our goal is to empower, motivate, and inspire you to take your business to the next level. Hey, it's Brandi Taylor, the business coach for beauty professionals. I help beauty pros amplify their business and take more action. I am super excited to share the Beauty Pro Mastermind with you, a group for serious beauty pros who want to find ways to continue to thrive in their business, a safe place for support, accountability, and education. This group is for beauty professionals who are ready for change in their business, understanding that commitment is required to achieve your goals. You know you need to make a move, but you're unclear and need an extra push. My mission is to empower beauty professionals and equip them to achieve their goals, bringing beauty and business together through support, education, and business resources. Register today for the Beauty Pro Mastermind at IamBrandyTaylor.com and just click on Beauty Pro Mastermind. I will also include the details in the show notes. Hey, welcome to the podcast. I am super excited to share today's episode with you. I had a phenomenal interview with Kim Lewis. She is the CEO and founder of Curl Mix. I thoroughly enjoy our conversation. Kim is very humble and down to earth. And she was just so open to share her entrepreneurial journey and the pivots and all the things that she had to go through to get to where she is now running this multi-million dollar hair care brand. She was on Shark Tank and she actually walked away from $400,000 It's just a few things that we talked about, along with like the pivots, the ups and the downs and what it took to really grow this business to where it is today. And I think you're really going to enjoy it and be inspired by her story. I am so proud of her and her husband. It just really excites me to see two young black people doing their thing in this in the entrepreneurial business in the beauty world and making an impact. And they also are, the goal is to go public and they're actually starting their own investment fund where you can invest directly into this company. And I think this is something um, that we should look into for sure. So check out curlmix.com forward slash invest for more information on that, or just to even support the business and check out the awesome products. But let's get into this interview. And here is a little bit of Kim's bio. Kim Lewis is the CEO and co-founder of Curlmix, a clean beauty brand for curly hair. After a strong showing on seasons 10 of ABC's Emmy Award-winning Shark Tank with her husband and co-founder Tim Lewis, Kim made the daring decision to bet on herself and turned down a $400,000 shark deal. Less than six months later, Kim's talent in logistics and marketing secured a seed investment of $1.2 million, multiplied Curlmix sales into the millions, and grew the Curlmix team to 30-plus full-time staff, all while raising two small children. Kim was recently featured on Forbes 30 Under 30 list, and today Curlmix continues to flourish under Kim's entrepreneurial prowess. Her company operates a manufacturing facility in the heart of Native City, Chicago, where Kim employs a full-time staff of minorities, working moms, and women. I think you're really going to enjoy this interview, and here it goes. Hey, welcome to the podcast. It's your host, Brandi Taylor. We have an awesome guest today, Kim Lewis. Welcome, Kim. 
Hi, Brandy. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here. I am super excited to have you here. So, Kim, I like to start off with like a fun fact. So I want you to tell us something about yourself that most people would not know. I am my maiden name before I got married was Kimberly Jones Jr. And so I was named after my mother. She literally gave me her last name and everything. So I have like no middle name. It was very funny. Oh, that is interesting. So what was it like being like a junior? <laughs> my mom, I had this idea that she would call me junior as uh, a nickname, and she never did. Uh, but only to embarrass me if like a boy came around. She'd be like, come here, junior. I'm like, my mom is silly. Uh, <laughs> and then I remember one time I had a summer job um, and I would use those little refrigerator magnets at the company like refrigerator and organize my name, Kimberly Jones Jr. And when I came back, the junior was like messed up. And so then I'm like, hmm, that's weird. So I put the junior back when I came back to get my water. And then I w- left and then came back. And then Jones Jr. was messed up. And then I was like, who's messing up my name just to believe in the end? And then um, I came back to get, get my water again or whatever. And then my whole name was messed up. So then I, as I was leaving work that day, there was a man who stopped me at the elevator and was like, you can't be a junior, you know, that's only for men. And he was so upset. And I was like, are you serious? (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Women can't be juniors and you're going to mess up my name on the coffee. I mean, the company refrigerator, just because I was like, that is funny. Uh, I was clearly bothering him that day. Clearly, clearly. (laughs) Yeah. He had a lot of time on his hands for sure. Yes. And it happened to me at the DMV one time too. They're like, you can't be a junior. I'm like, well, my birth certificate says I'm a junior. So I'm a junior. (laughs) Right. Exactly. (laughs) Well, thanks for sharing that, Kim. That's super cool. I can't say I've had, well, I have had a a junior on that was a female for sure. Yep. I have. Now that I think about it. (laughs) Awesome. So tell us about your business and how you got started in your entrepreneurial journey. I started Chromex in 2015. I actually, before I started Chromex, I started a um, social network for natural hair. So think like Facebook, but for hair. And we did that for about a year. And it kind of, I got connected with a lot of industry professionals and learned a ton about hair and produced free content for them. Um, and then I let that business go because it really just didn't make any money. Um And we started the DIY box for curly hair, which was Chromex. Basically, we were like blue apron, but for hair. So we'd send you all the materials you would need to make your own hair products. And you would mix it up at home and you would know exactly what was in it. Because a lot of times we're like, yeah, this is natural, but is it really? Like, we don't really know. You know what I mean? That's that's always the question. Mm -hmm. Um, And we did that for about two years. And people kept buying one box over and over and over again. And it was our flaxseed gel. And flaxseed gel is literally when you boil real flaxseeds and extract the gel and you use it in your hair. And a lot of people were using it for wash and goes, which is a style I have now. And when we found that out, we decided to pivot the entire business. Um, And we went to manufacturers to see if they would make it for us, but none of them would. Uh, they were like, girl, that's real food. We ain't doing that. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, no. Nah. I was like, <laughs> and so I was going to not pivot the business. I was like, you know what? I'm going to pack this up. It's not working. And my advisor was like, well, you figure it out. So I spent, um, I want to say a full month in my kitchen making 80 different batches of flaxseed gel. I was seven months pregnant. And every time wow. I would go outside testing a batch, people would flag me down in the street. Like, what is in your hair? What are you doing? And I'm like, it's flaxseed gel. And they're like, well, can you just make it for me? Cause I'm not going to make that. And so we launched it to our audience. Um, at the time we weren't really a big business at all. At the time we were doing maybe like 140,000 annually, I want to say. And so we maybe had 
couple hundred customers and we launched a flaxseed gel and sold out within like hours. And I was like, oh my gosh, people really want this and manufacturers won't make it. They'll just make a synthetic gel that they put flaxseed oil in. And that's not flaxseed gel. If you are a naturalista, you know what I'm talking about. So we pivoted the business top of 2018, um, selling flaxseed gel, different variations of it with different oils and fragrances. And we shot up to about a million in revenue that year. So it just 10x the business focusing on the flaxseed gel um, and solving a real problem that other people were not willing to do. And then shortly after that, we uh, were featured on Shark Tank in 2019. And that year, the business grew to about $5 million in revenue. Um, and we launched a full four-step system to get women the best wash and go ever. So the flaxseed gel was the last step of that. But then we added a shampoo, conditioner, and a moisturizer to that whole process. And that is how we got to where we are now. Now we manufacture on the west side of Chicago with over 30 employees, people of color. Um, I want to say 95% of our staff is African-American um, or Somewhere between 90 and 100, it's like 90% for sure. I'm like, I don't want to get the percentages messed up. But yes, we employ people from the community. Our living wage, not minimum wage, is $17 an hour. We offer full benefits, dental, health care. Thank you. And 401k. Uh, We take care of our people because they are important and they help us serve our customers. Great, great. So you've had an interesting journey. So you said in the beginning, like before you figured out that it was this flaxseed gel that was the thing for your yeah. company. Um, you were, you know, sending out ingredients. And so kind of kind of share with us, like, what happened with the whole box when you were sending out the ingredients with Curl Mix? You were sending out the raw materials to make your own hacker products. And we found that it was novelty. Like, it was fun for people to do, but it was not necessity. So they were still going out and buying other products in the store while they were making stuff at home. And so our boxes start, our best customers boxes started to pile up because they just didn't have the time to, to do it. Right. Um, and so that's, when I was like, okay, I am solving a, a certain person's problem, but it's not a big enough problem for me to scale my business. And so I have to really be a painkiller, not a vitamin. What is a real pain that people have? And when you boil flaxseed gel, um, it's a real pain because you can burn yourself. <laughs> Um, it's a real pain. And then for other people, a lot of gels have extremely synthetic, um, makeups, you know, and this was an organic gel. You are, we're literally buying organic brown flax seeds and extracting the gel after we boil it. So we had to figure out how do you manufacture this? Cause it's not something you would do in a typical machine that you would make hair care products in. A lot of times manufacturers just want to mix in some conditioning agents with some water and some powders and then whip it up and give you a product. But flaxseed gel is not like that. So it took a lot of um, experimentation and figuring out the proper machinery and the method. And it really took us a while to kind of figure out how to scale it from a batch of 60 in my stock pot to a batch of 700 in you know, a big pan. So definitely I can see that. So what was the process to scaling? I was going to ask you that. Because you 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 you've had some tremendous growth starting from 2015. I know you had to pivot early on before it was such a popular word. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So let's talk about that a little bit. So how do we scale? Um, when we so again I told you we were doing 140 thousand I think that year when it was just the DIY box and then we pivoted to flaxseed gel. Well, that year the first three months I wasn't spending money on. Um, 
ads. So we that January when we pivoted, we had done 3,000 in sales. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is a bad idea. We shouldn't have pivoted. I was like, I cried to my husband. I was like, this was a dumb idea. He's like, no, Kim, like you knew this is going to be our first month is a real like e-commerce business and not a subscription box business. Chill, just give it a moment. And I started working with micro influencers, people with less than 20,000 Instagram followers and looking up hashtags uh, like wash and go or like, you know, I knew people were using the gels to get a wash and go. So I was trying to figure out, can I find micro influencers who would do revenue sharing with us? So they would earn, you know, um, 10 to 20% of the sale and we would give them a 20% off discount code for our customer, for their their audience. And so with that, we got to about, I want to say 8,000 in sales next month. And I was just like, man, if we could double, like we'd be at our highest month in revenue ever. Like we'd be back to what we were doing with the DIY box. Like it would be phenomenal. And that month we ended up doing 30,000 in revenue. And I was like, oh my gosh, we figured out, we figured it out. We know what people want and we know how to kind of scale the business. And so after that, then we started investing in advertising because we had found the product that people were looking for and we had found the customer who was willing to buy it. And so that really helped catapult our business and, that was the year we got some million dollars in revenue. And that was before Shark Tank. Wow. So in addition to, you know, working with micro influencers, you also decide to do advertising as well. Can you share a little bit of like um, your marketing techniques that you utilize in your business at that time? Yeah. So back when we started on Facebook ads, I was nervous because I had worked with other agencies and wasted money, you know, thinking that they were going to blow my business up. Everyone, I mean, if you if you get targeted for those Facebook ads, I mean, I, every time I scroll, I see an ad for an agency that is uh, doing something outlandish to get your attention. And it's like, we can run your ads. We can make you money. And I'm like, ah, everybody has the same story. But I actually started working with an ad agency who was really, really good, um, specifically who focused on black hair care. And they were, I think they started me like 30 bucks a day. And back then, once we were making, you know, five figures a month, this is something that we could invest in. Uh, but I'm glad I didn't start before I was making five figures a month because I wouldn't have known the message or the customer or the product I should be focusing on. If you don't know those three things, you're throwing money out the window. Um, so it's important that you figure that out before. And I also had spent years at expos. I think people, it's so underrated. Like, of course, going to an expo, you know, it's not a way to scale, right? Because you, you can only talk to one person at a time and get one sale at a time. Um, but it is an excellent way to, to understand how to talk to people and understand their problems, your target audience, understand when your message is tight and when it's not. Um, it really helps you with public speaking. And I found that some of the founders who spent those years at expos before their business like catapulted, they are phenomenal sellers. They are good at talking um, in public spaces, live events, live on social, and they're very comfortable. Um, and you need those kinds of skills when you want to go on Shark Tank or who wants to be a millionaire or um, uh, HSN or anything like that. Like it helps to be a, pu- a public speaker. So doing these expos helped me understand my customer. We spent money on ads. And so in doing ads on Facebook, you want to make sure that the it's short and sweet and to the point, you know, um, that it adds value and it's entertaining for the person. So you don't just want to have an ad that's just like, my product is the best. It has this, and this, and this, and this, and this in it. Like nobody cares, right? It's like, teach me how to do something. Like um, it's uh, teach me how to do something for free, right? Um, give selfishly and you'll profit eventually, right? Uh, so content, education, um, they like to call it edutainment when you're educating and someone and entertaining them at the same time. Kind of like this podcast. <laughs> right, right. So I think you uh, have really 
own the edutainment space because um, with Curl Mix, you're doing a lot of education a lot of educating and showing people how to use the products and how to style their hair. Um, when did you discover that that was the way to go about really marketing your business? Oh my gosh. So this actually came from our customer service department. So Crystal, she manages our customer service department. Um, and back in the day, we people, wash and goes are not the thing that people get right on the first time they do it. It's a thing that it takes you about four or five times before you're like, I got it, you know? And so that means it's tougher when you are trying to have a hair care business that's focusing on that. So we had to show people, show me, don't tell me, right? And my customer service manager, Crystal, she kept in our meetings, Kim, you need to show people how to do their hair. You need to show people how to do their hair. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, what do you mean? She's like, I think you should go live on Facebook. And I'm like, ah, I can't do that. And she's like, yes, you can. I'm like, okay, fine, I'll do it. So I went live, I had my husband recording me. Um, and we would literally just show people on wash and go Wednesday. So for literally two and a half years, I myself was going live in my shower, um, every Wednesday showing our customers how to do their hair and how to get the best wash and go ever. And it sounds crazy, but it was literally at least for two years. And then we actually built like a mini salon in our office where we bring customers in and we would do their wow. hair live. So that was kind of fun. That is awesome. So you guys have a bitty salon in the office. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And so then it became a thing. They're like, I can't wait to go to Washington Wednesday so Kim can bless my hair. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So there's a lot of natural hair companies. Um, you know, there's one popping up, you know, all the time. Yes. What do you think separates Curl Mix from the rest? I mean, one, Washington Wednesday was one. I don't know many founders who are willing to go live every Wednesday and do their hair and reveal what their hair looks like when it's not camera ready, right? So I think that's one thing. The second thing is it's a simple routine. It's not like buy 13 products and you figure out how to do your hair. It's buy these four and we'll get you a wash and go. And we're going to have a method to do that. So we actually launched Chromex University years ago. Um, now I've seen several people launch universities, but it, it, the university with the Chromex University was to teach you it's three parts, basic hair care for the first part. The second part was um, things you might be doing wrong and teaching you about how to, to moisturize your hair. Moisture, moisture comes from method, not product. So it's like, what are you, are you shampooing your hair? Are you getting the buildup off of your hair? Are you like, what are you doing to like maintain moisture? And the third part was actually how to achieve a really good wash and go with any hair type. So we did um, type two textures, type three textures, type four textures. Um, and that is something that we use, you know, that we did for free, right? I think it, we, we spent maybe like $20,000 putting together that course for everyone. And so now it's something that we continually use to show people how to get the best wash and go ever. So we do Cromans University, we do wash and go Wednesday, and we go live every day on Facebook, um, giving you tips on how to either get the best wash and go ever or showing our customers doing their hair tips and how they preserve their curls and all of that. And then we have two blogs a week. So we do tons of free content for our customers that I just don't see anybody else doing. I think most people are posting on Instagram and getting their customers to do reels and then sharing them on Instagram. But as far as them as the brand providing value for the customer in that way and putting them at the forefront, um, I think we're really special. Uh, we also have a bustling Facebook group with over 12,000 customers in it, and they post 50 times a day, literally. Um, I wouldn't say 80% of the group has, 85% of the group is active. So it means in the last 90 days that, I mean, in the last 30 days, sorry, 28 days, in the last 28 days, over 80% of them have posted, commented, liked, or done something in the group. And our customer service is there working with them, talking to them, um, 
handling any issues that they have, you know, they brag about the customer service uh, in that group. And so I think we just kind of really go the extra mile because our relationship is direct. Um, when brands are in retail, people will be happy to say, I'm in 10,000 doors, I'm in, in whatever, how many doors, but they don't really know their customers. That's a business to business relationship. So if I'm in Target, Target is my customer. So Target tells me what collection I'm launching next. Target tells me when I need to roll out a new product or or whatever, right? And so if Target stops buying my products, then I don't have access to my customers anymore. But Chromex, literally all 6 million that we made last year was through Chromex.com, which means I know Ms. Deborah Mack. I know Cindy Wallace. I know... Um, just, I know my customers, Nikki, I, get, I know them on a first name basis and I get to see them every day when they're posting on our Facebook group, which means I also get to kind of serve them in a different kind of way. Um, and I think that makes Chromex super special. Yeah, I can see having like a group of 12,000 customers that can actually give you feedback and you could survey them. That way you can really, you know, understand what their needs are and what, what, what they're struggling with. I think that definitely gives you, you know, a leg up. And on top of that, you're providing education for your client. So you're not just shoving like, hey, buy this product. This product is great. You're showing them how to use it. You're educating them on different hair types and all of those things. So I think that is phenomenal. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. You're welcome. So what would you say has been your biggest entrepreneurial, your biggest lesson in your entrepreneurial journey thus far? My biggest lesson is to not look to the left and to the right to look forward. Um, I've, <laughs> a lot of, uh, I'm in the, we're in the Me Too industry. So basically everyone kind of copies everyone, right? And I think we think that the person next to us has the answers, but they don't, we don't realize that we're all trying to figure it out no matter how big someone looks or small, like people don't know what they're doing. Um, and so <laughs> uh, we, so for me, it is about looking forward. What is Chromex doing right? What is Chromex doing wrong? What can we do better? Um, and constantly trying to reiterate our brand to, to be better um, and not necessarily looking at my competition to determine what I'm doing next. You know, that's, I think that's one of the biggest takeaways that I've learned. And it really comes down to story. A lot of times we focus on the product and it's not about the product. Uh, the product is it's just not important. It's it's about the customer. It's about the uh, the the why. You know what I mean? It's the story around the brand and, and what your brand stands for and not about the fact that this is the best moisturizer ever. We all have the best moisturizer ever, you know? Right. That doesn't matter. It's not about the product. It's about the people. So what is your why? My why is my customer. It, 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 is, it is them feeling beautiful and how can I do that? Is that just hair? Is that a face kit? Is that a body kit? Um, is that wash and go Wednesday? And, or is that me going live and telling you, you look beautiful? Like it, it may not even be about just the hair always. Um, hair is just the how, it's not the why. The why is helping them feel beautiful. Awesome, awesome. And so I know you're in business with your husband. So what is that like? What is that dynamic like? My husband is a genius and I am so lucky to have him. Um, not just because like, oh, I'm lucky to have a husband. I'm lucky that he is a genius. <laughs> um, and in the beginning, there were definitely some difficult times, but my husband and I have been together since we were 16. So <laughs> a long time. He's 30 this, he just made 30. I'll be 30 this year. And I think it's allowed us to, it propelled us a lot. It catapulted us in this 
process because basically he was able to work while I was focusing on the business. And he's always been uh, someone who's really good with strategy. Uh, I don't know if you know this, Brandy, but he won $100,000 and who wants to be a millionaire? So like trivia buff through and through um, can figure out any problem, can get in there and like he's a, he's he can figure out any problem and come up with really good solutions. I'm the executioner. <laughs> I will get it done. You know, I will make sure I'm the strategy. I'm the implementation. And he's the like big idea. And then together we really, you know, we are uh, forced to be reckoned with. So I I think that's been the, my secret weapon this whole time, you know, working with my husband for sure. Awesome. It's always great. I work with my husband as well. And I think it's, you know, a great partnership for sure. It's my best friend. So I always love, I always ask like, you know, people who work with their spouse, like, what's that like? Cause I love it. (laughs) Yeah. We're always working. I know. And, and it's not a, um, so tired of working. It's like, we're problem solvers and thinkers and learners at, at, at heart. And so for us, it's always, how can we do better? How can we learn more? How can we be a better service to our customers? And so that's how we're always thinking. So for us, even if we're having dinner, we're talking about work, but we love it though. We don't, we really love it. Awesome. So you guys, let's get to Shark Tank. You guys were on Shark Tank together and you know what the million dollar question is. How do you walk away from $400,000? So to share a little bit of that with us. At the time, Robert Herjavec offered us a deal for $400,000 for a 20% stake in our business, which kind of gave us around a $2 million valuation. And at the time, we were really worth around 6 or $7 million. And we were already on track to do a million that year. So it just was not the best offer. And we really felt like we knew our worth. Um, and so we actually held out. So we ended up getting an offer from the former CEO of LinkedIn and other partners for about $1.2 million later for 10% of the business, which was basically like a $12 million valuation. So two versus 12 was like, okay, this is definitely the better deal. Um, and I'm so grateful for that decision. It was so hard to make in the moment though, because it, it was a spot on decision. Like I, it was just in that moment, I, I was like, this doesn't feel right to me. And I have to go home with this business. Um, it's a real business I'm going to feed my family with. I can't just say whatever for TV sake, you know? And so that's, that was why we made that decision. Yeah. And at the time, it's like, wow, you know, like you don't see too many people do that. But I think it paid off. And and that was the right decision for you at that particular time. But when you walked away from it at first, did you have any regret at all? No, not at all. The night before the episode, um, the night before we filmed, me and my husband sat down. I was like, OK, what are our walk away? What are our walk away numbers? What will we not accept? And for us, it wasn't even about the money. It was about the ownership. It was, we won't accept anything over 15%. 15% is our max. And Robert would not budge. He wanted 20% of the business. And I was just like, we said no. You know, so we had already decided so that even in that moment, I wouldn't be swayed, you know? Um, and I think that was the best decision ever. Uh, in MBA school, they call it the BATNA the better alternative to negotiating an agreement. So it's like, what you going to do if y'all can't figure it out? If y'all can't come to an agreement, what what's the alternative? Um, and so for us, it was walking away. Right. And it turned out to work out in your favor anyway. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure you, you, you've gained business from being on Shark Tank. So yeah, share yeah. that with us. 
when we actually aired, I think that month, we were spending quite a bit on ads too, but that month we did almost like 900,000 in sales, I want to say, when it aired. It was a big month for us. Um, and the year prior, we done a million in revenue for the whole year. So to do all that in one month was absolutely insane. We were behind on orders forever. Um, and then we also have reruns. So I love uh, Shark Tank for that. It, I definitely don't regret the experience at all. It was magnificent for our business. Yeah, and you talked about like when you were doing the trade shows and the expos, you were like in the trenches talking to your your customer, learning about them. And that really helped you prepare for pitching because oftentimes, especially I see a lot of African-American people who are afraid to do that, who are afraid to pitch, Mm. who are afraid to go for the different grants and go in front of the people to get the money. And, um, And you did it so gracefully. You knew your numbers. You were on point. You know, what's what's any advice you would give someone who's, you know, maybe they're bootstrapping and they're looking to get more funding and pitching and things like that? What's some, you know, some advice you would give? Shark Tank was maybe my hundredth pitch competition. Like I hadn't won any money at pitch competitions before. Um, even if I had won a few here and there. Um, but I had so much practice, so much practice. And by the time Shark Tank rolled around, I had said my pitch maybe a thousand times um, and I have practiced till I was blue in the face till I could, I knew my, I had dreams about my pitch like that. <laughs> that is how much I practice. Me and Tim, we practiced like it was a finals exam in college or like it was a dissertation or something like that. I want to say we had 50 note cards with questions on each and on the back of them, we had three bullet points for each answer and we would quiz each other on our way home from work during work. Um, we'd insult each other just in case the sharks insulted us. We'd be used to hearing things like, you know, you're, you're uh, minuscule or the big guy's going to squash you like a bug or, you know, just anything like that. We were practicing that. Um, and this was, we practiced that, but again, we had spent years pitching our business um, from the time we got married in 2013 to the time we actually filmed for Shark Tank in 2018. So we've just practiced so much that it really helps with public speaking. Great. Do you, is that something that you encourage like business owners to do? Because you, you did a hundred, you said a hundred competitions before. Uh, <laughs> I'm exaggerating. It probably wasn't a hundred, probably closer to like 40 to 50, but yes, I encourage you to find your local competitions. Um, they may not offer money, but there'll be connections. There'll be people there who'll be impressed with you, especially after you get really good at it. Um, go to the incubators in your neighbor, in your neighborhood or in your city uh, or the accelerators in your city um try to do ones that don't ask for equity right up front you know wait until you're making some money before you're having the equity conversation um what else would I recommend doing the ones online I've seen several online pitch competitions look for some of the funds the funds will do pitch competitions I mean I just it's, it's all over social now especially the whole conversation around being an entrepreneur and I would just say get out there and you might be afraid that's okay do it anyway great advice thanks so much for sharing that you're welcome Yeah. So what are you excited about right now? Right now, I am excited about the equity crowdfund that we are offering. So we are going to let the public, I mean, our customers, um, angel investors, you brand if you want to um, invest in Chromex. So you'll be able to buy shares, which is kind of unprecedented. Um, Most brands would never, right? They're like, um, this is my company, my big payday. And we're like, no, we want to create wealth within our community, with our customers. You should own 
a piece of the companies that you're supporting, especially when they're starting from nothing. The Every time you value their product, you are creating value. And I don't know that people know that. I don't know that people know that the thousands they spend with brands are creating, you know, if you spend a thousand with a brand, you're creating 3000 in perceived value. And you don't get any of it when the company sells. And so what this would allow is for someone to be have a part of our brand that when we do go public and actually IPO and have a stock ticker for our brand, not like going public is when you're traded on like, you know, the stock exchange for anyone who doesn't know. And mm-hmm. so hopefully one day you'll be able to have a, a CMX um, stock ticker, you know what I mean? Where you, your shares will then have multiplied and, and you'll have a, increased uh, the ROI on your investment. So that's my hope for everyone that you get to own a piece of the brand that you're purchasing from and create wealth for your family, just like I'm creating it for mine. And that's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. And so the plan is to go public then. Yes, yes, yes. I want to be like Procter & Gamble. I want to own multiple brands. Um, in fact, we own a couple. We don't just own Chromex. And if you guys want to be a part of that, you can go to Chromex.com backslash invest. And we open up our campaign April 6th. So you will literally be able to buy shares for as little as $250. Awesome. I'm going to make sure I leave that information in the show notes for sure. Thank you so much, Brandy. I appreciate it. You're welcome. You're welcome. So you have like from 2015 to now, I mean, you have definitely expanded your brand. You have a full team. So tell us what that journey to this growth has been like. Has it been some growing pains at all? Absolutely. I didn't I didn't spend a lot of time in corporate, which I think cost me. I think if you can stay in a, a job that you love um, with working with people that you love and you're learning, do it because you're learning on someone else's dime. And I think that is like phenomenal, even though, yeah, like you took the leap and you launched your own business. I didn't pay myself for the first like four years. So my husband was, you know, and so even though people are like, oh, your husband's taking care of you. I didn't like not paying myself. I don't like that feeling of feeling like a burden. Right. Um, But if you can find a job that you love and you feel like you belong, then I think that's phenomenal. And because at the end of the day, it's still work, right? I'm still work. I'm working a ton as a founder than I was, you know, working nine to five. Um, But I would say the hardest part is learning management. So that's not something that most entrepreneurs understand. A lot of people leave because they want to, I want to be my own boss. I want to run my own business. I don't want to work for nobody else. That's like usually like the the narrative, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But there's nothing wrong with working for somebody else, especially when you can learn on their dime. And when you do that, you build your business so that you're like, I just want to be free. But as you get more successful, you have to become more corporate. So you have to have policies and procedures. You have to have benefits. You have to have management. And and most people just don't even talk about that piece, right? Like managing a team. Um, and I think people don't talk about that because sometimes they don't may not get there. So you don't realize that that's the case. And you, if you're a solo founder, you know everything by yourself, which is also not a really healthy way to live um, emotionally and like, just financially. Um, But you have to learn to manage people. And I don't mean manage like, I'm the boss, you do what I say. I mean, management is listening, right? It's listening to your your team, what what makes them happy, what doesn't make them happy, listening to your customers, what makes your customers happy and what doesn't make them happy, and finding happiness in the middle between what your team is capable of producing and what your customer actually wants. Um, And I think there is like some synergy and when you meet in the middle and happiness for everyone, Um, But I would say learning to manage people has been the hardest part of the job and being able to hire. um, I think that's the crux of any good business is is a good hiring process. 
Yeah, because you have a full team now and it started out with just you and your husband, right? Yes, there are 34 employees at Chromex and we manufacture. Okay. So that's one of the reasons we have so many people. Um, if, if I was buying my products from China or getting them made at some, you know, mass facility or whatever, we probably have maybe 15 people. Uh, but we chose to manufacture stateside, actually on the west side of Chicago and keep jobs here in our community. That is phenomenal. And I salute you for doing that. I think that is absolutely great that you not only employ minorities, but you actually give them a living wage. I love when you said that earlier. Yeah, Because no one pays 17 an hour, you know, so that is good. <laughs> you cannot live in Chicago on $9 an hour, okay? People just be hiring anybody. Let me just say that. Got you, got you. So with, um, with Curl Mix, have you found with everything that's been going on, has it impacted your business at all with, you know, 2020 slash 2021? Yes. So since we manufacture, we got to, we felt all the constraints of supply chain, which, and what is supply chain? Supply chain is like, where am I getting my raw materials? So we might get shea butter from Africa, avocado oil from Mexico, and we might buy plastic bottles from China. Um, And when China shut down, that meant it was very difficult to get eight ounce plastic bottles. So even some of my, like, who might be a competitor of mine, right? I use air quotes when I say that. We were borrowing bottles from each other. We're like, hey, like, do you got tops? Hey, do you got bottles? Hey, do you got? Because like, basically, we couldn't get some of these things. Um, and then also, I was worried about my staff. You know, we're technically a personal care company. We're technically um, uh, essential workers because we create things like shampoo and body wash and things that, like, if you're on the front line, you need those things because you have to clean yourself every day after you know you go into the doctor, uh, the doctor's office, or after you go into the hospital. And so. We were still working, but I had to make sure my team stayed safe. So that meant, you know, offering proper PPE or even hazard pay when when it was at its peak, right? Or making sure people are getting tested before they come back to work after they've been gone on vacation and they went somewhere else. Like it's it just ch- completely changed the way we could do business, um, and we really had to adapt. So that was a challenge, but I'm grateful we got through it with no one. Um, getting hurt or, you know, passing away because, you know, in our communities, that was happening a lot. And and people on our staff saw it, you know, so it was very scary, very, very scary. But uh, we made it through and I'm very happy about that. Great, great. I'm glad to hear you made it through and are still thriving. So as far as the hair industry goes, do you see any shifts? Like, what do you see happening now within the hair industry? Oh, that's a good question. Um, you know, one of the things I've learned in our space is that most uh, hair care brands are not actually branded. Like we think that uh, like a logo is like a brand and like um, that, like I have a logo and a name and like colors. And so I'm branded and that's not actually branding. Branding is when you have a story to tell and the customer can clearly see who your, someone can clearly see who your customer is by looking at your timeline um, and, and where she works and what she does for a living and who, what her family looks like and what she does for fun and like her side hustle. Like they get all of that from looking at your brand. And so most people in our space are not branded. And that was something I didn't learn until I understood branding. And I didn't really learn branding until last year. So Chromex is going to rebrand. <laughs> um, but that was something that was really kind of striking to me. One of the few brands that, um, or if they're not branded, they are founder focused, but it's not about the founder. It's about the, it's about, the, about the customer, you know? And that I think is something that I noticed in our community. And I don't know if that has happened because we've been duped by a lot of other companies who want to come into our space and sell to us who don't look like us. And so we have forced founders to the front and say, hey, what does your founder look like? Because I need to know who I'm buying from, you know? That's been a thing. And so I guess and maybe in doing that, 
people don't get branded along the way. You kind of like, I'm the person at the front. It's about me, but it's really not about me. It's about my customers. So making the brand more customer centric and customer focused is what I, I want to do, but I've noticed that about our space. So I don't know, you know, you, you could call it a good thing or a bad thing. It's, it's whatever you, how you decide. But I think that's something that I've learned about the natural haircut industry. Interesting. Do you think that it's a way to balance the two? Because I've, I've heard both sides. Like, so I've heard like people buy from, you know, they buy from who they know, like, and trust. Yeah. And yeah. so I hear they want to see the founder and kind of connect with the founder's story. But then how do you balance that out where it's not all about the founder? You know, I think um, someone who does it well, I, love, I really like Glossier. We all know Emily Wise is the founder. Um, we go to her Instagram and she looks like a Glossier girl, you know, but on Glossier, it's not all Emily Wise. You know what I'm saying? But again, branding is expensive. So a lot of times we have to be the first person in the front of the brand because like we don't get funded. And, you know, Black women receive 0.6% of uh, venture capital out of, hundred percent, right? Like we get no money from venture. So then we have to do the grassroots things of like bootstrapping and we are forced into that. And we have to do the founder at the front where I did washing on Wednesday for years, right? I was in the front of my brand for a long time. Um, but it wasn't until one of my branding coaches was like, Hey Kim, it's not about you. It's about your customer. And I was, and then I, and I started looking at other brands that kind of had the funding to do that, or that raised a hundred million dollars. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like, this is how that's done. This is how it's supposed to look. Um, Nike isn't about a founder. You know what I'm saying? Nike is about just do it. It, it is about the customer, the athlete. You know what I mean? Like, uh, what's another brand that's not about the founder? Um, I mean, I can name any like high-end luxury brand, you know what I mean? Louis Vuitton, um, um, Hermes, or like just not about the founder. But when it comes to our space, our customers want to know who, who runs the company, you know what I'm saying? Who they're supporting. And that comes from like being duped all along. And I get that, you know what I mean? But I think that there's going to be a shift happening where brands have to be better branded. And, and that's the future of our space. But that's, I think just, it's just what happens with the maturity of the category. You know what I mean? Fashion companies now are not solely focused on who, who runs the fashion company. It's focused on the product and the customer. And I think that's where the, the industry evolves to, but the natural hair industry is still very new, right? So it may seem oversaturated to us, but there's only a couple hundred natural hair companies, whereas skincare is like 20,000. So we're still in the early days of our industry. And I think as our industry matures, it will be less founder focused and more customer focused once people kind of learn how to brand. Great insight, great insight. And I hope, I hope I'm not ruffling too many feathers. You know, some people may not, you know, like to hear that, but um, it's just what I think as a, as a founder and someone who's looking at the industry as a whole. Yeah, I'm glad you shared that. Like I've heard, you know, both sides of the spectrum and I could see both sides, but yeah, I think it's interesting. And I, I can absolutely understand that, how we kind of get caught up in that. Cause oftentimes you like, you're the end all be all at first. It might just be you or, you know, so that's what you have. You work with what you have, but you, but focusing more on the customer and who she is, is ultimately the most important thing because you have no business without customers. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. So I absolutely get that. So I am, I have been absolutely enjoying having you on the podcast and we're narrowing down to the last few questions. So tell us, how do you stay motivated? Um, I stay motivated when our staff, our team says things like, 
I bought my first house. So I'm closing on Tuesday. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, like me continually going and, and, and focusing on the company and trying to build it and paying people what they're worth. They're able to do things like buy their first house. I think two people on my staff have said that to me and it made me so happy. Another person said that they were um, proposing and they were able to buy the, like, the engagement ring. And I just, you know, that's what this is all about. It's about people. It's not about, that's the whole purpose of any business is to serve customers and to um, make happy, happy employees. And so I'm like, that keeps me motivated, my people. Awesome. Awesome. How do you define success? I think I have it. Um, success right now is being able to get off work and watch movies with my kids, watch, uh, what is it? We watched Raya from Disney with the dragons and stuff the other day. And then we watched the Justice League, the four hour cut uh, with my husband and his parents and our kids running around on the floor and us all just sit in the living room. And I think being able to do that without a care in the world, without a worry, you know what I'm saying? Without a, a financial worry or without um, a worry of someone's health, you know, I think that is success. Um, and I know people are like, of course, you're saying they're like, oh, she's a millionaire. I'm a millionaire on paper, right? But I don't have a million dollars in the bank. Um, <laughs> and so even if I did, so, so if somebody gave you a million dollars right now, you just have some zeros in your account extra. Like you'd still, what would still make you happy and bring you joy are the people in your life, your friendships, having a wine night with your girlfriend or going out with your spouse or, you know, watching your kids do something new that they couldn't do before. Like that is joy and that is success. Great, great. What's either your favorite book or a book you're currently reading right now? Oh, um, my favorite book is Influence by Robert Cialdini. Um, He talks about how to influence people. And it's like six principles. And I think they can be applied to anything in life, a website, a conversation, uh, a pitch, any of that. I think that's a book that it will help anyone. And particularly business. It's one of those core marketing principle books you should definitely read. And Positioning by Jack Trout. Um, that's a good one, too. I have to check those out. I haven't read those yet, but I'm going to put those on my list for sure. Wonderful. So what is either your favorite affirmation or motivational quote that you live by? Oh, I I don't have a quote, but I have a word. Um, The word is relentless. It is, you just got to be relentless. And to me, relentlessness comes from grit and problem solving. I got a problem. Okay. I can fix it. It's not going to overcome. It's not going to defeat me, you know? Um, and I consider myself chief, pro- chief problem solver, not really a CEO. It's everybody's problems rise up to me and I got to figure out how to fix it, you know? And so that is uh, what I think is most important, relentlessness. And do you think that is what has contributed to your success thus far? Absolutely. Absolutely. There are plenty of things that can knock you down, right? So I'll give you an example. Um, one of my investors said that he loved I was that I was doing the equity crowdfund because it's such a creative solution to, you know, fundraising, whereas typically I'd go around to a bunch of like rich folks and ask them to give me money to 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 continue expanding and growing the business. And instead I'm going the uh, the much harder route of, you know, allowing my customers to invest. And the reason I say this is much harder because you have to file forms with the SEC. You have to do an audit of your accounting. Then you have to actually raise the money from thousands of people, which is a lot more difficult than having a conversation with a rich person and then showing them your financials and then them writing you a check behind closed doors, you know? Um, 
very, very different experience, but I, it's the way I believe it should be done. So I'm relentless. I didn't, it's not that I'm taking no for an answer. I'm finding another way to do it. You know what I mean? Equity crowdfunding is going to be the way that we fund our business. And so that is just an example of relentlessness. Awesome. I think you are a true example of relentlessness. And I thank you so much for being on the podcast. Can you tell everybody how they can find you on the World Wide Web? Oh, thank you so much, Brandy. Absolutely. You guys can find us at Chromex.com. If you're interested in investing in our crowdfund, you can do uh, Chromex.com backslash invest. And then if you just want to follow me personally, me and my husband, we have a shared Instagram account, uh, Kim and Tim Lewis. It's A-N-D. Uh, and we post our kids on there all the time and our, our team and the fun stuff we do on the weekends. Awesome. Kim, do you have anything else you want to share with us before we go? No, thank you guys for listening. And if you guys are going to start your business, focus on the customer, focus on them and, and how they can be winners and you will win. Awesome. Kim Lewis, everybody. That's all we have for you for today. As always, stay great and we're out. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the podcast today. Make sure you subscribe. Check us out on Apple Podcasts and leave a review. I want to hear from you. Email me at info at businessbeautynetwork.com. You can also follow me on Instagram at I am Brandy Taylor and Facebook at I am Brandy Taylor. I want to connect with you. So let's stay connected. And remember that all things are possible if you only believe. Stay great.